<laughs> you know, I don't think I've ever taken for granted the, um, the privilege it is to stand here and what he goes through every week. But this definitely does add a new dimension to it, being able to stand here. And obviously, this is a culmination of um, many hours of preparation. But actually, over the last several months, my studies and reflections have been in the Ten Commandments. And um, it's funny because Pete remarked how he thought I was the most godly woman. But now what we say to each other, hopefully because of growth and depth in our own spiritual beings, is if you knew who you were talking to, you would run away. But um, anyway, God has really met me, met me in an unexpected way through the Ten Commandments. Um, as a little girl, I believed I needed to keep those Ten Commandments or I was going to hell. And so I try to keep those Ten Commandments to the best of my ability. And um, actually, I realize now I was missing quite the spirit of them. Um, but also, someone remarked to me after the first service that she had heard them called the Tender Commandments, which really does capture the essence of what they were intended for, which is really such a beautiful way to describe them. They are the tender commandments because to put a frame around them, they came to the Israelites after and as a result of God setting them free from slavery, hundreds of years of slavery. You can imagine, and we know from African Americans in our own country, what that does to one's psyche. And so God says, here are some words that I want to give to you about what it means to walk in freedom and to walk in love. And so they are actually very radical, but we miss them. Uh, we miss the radical in the, of, of them many times. But hopefully today, we will grasp some of the radicalness. But more than the radicalness, the freedom and the love that was intended by God to, set, to not only set us free, but to keep us free. Which really brings us to the first commandment. Uh, oh, no, I don't know why it's not coming up. Do you want to put it there? For me? Thank you. The first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. I have come to recognize how much the world seduces me with false needs and false values because of my need to feel superior and to be accepted by others. And so the Ten Commandments, this one in particular, because this one sets the tone for all the others, has been such a wake-up call. I'm embarrassed that others' ideas and expectations influence me more than God. And if there's anything that is at the heart, the very heart and core, or if the Ten Commandments could be totally summed up, it would be in this phrase, God is the source of my life. God says, I am the source of your life. He set the Israelites free, and they have to now depend on him for their life. He set you and I free 
mostly from the bondage of self-deception, that we need to be accepted by others, or we have to be superior to others in order to feel good about ourselves. Um, I read a story about a man who uh, was engaged. And um, this, the, the, uh, no, 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 he, was, he wanted to be engaged. And he had been dating this woman for quite a while. And they had had some bumps along the way. And, um, but he felt like he, this is the woman he wanted to spend the rest of his life with. And he said to her, I love you very, very much. And I do want to spend the rest of my life with you. But if you say no, I will not be devastated. I will be extremely sad, but I will not be devastated because you are not the source of my life. God is the source of my life. But you and I many times have an exterior self that tells us we need to attach ourselves to people, to careers, to accumulation of things in order to feel superior or accepted by others. And this commandment is about the fact that that is an illusion. And it's as if we live in a world where a, uh, an evil spell has been cast and an illusion has been created. But as we sung in that last hymn, um, God rules the world. And he rules our life extremely intimately if we will allow him. So this first commandment is about the fact and sets the foundation for all the rest. God is my source. And so what I'd like to do as we go through this, I'll introduce the commandment, I'll make a few comments, and then I'm going to ask if you will pray a prayer. Uh, Pete had a wonderful idea that why don't we turn these truths into a prayer. So we wrote prayers to go with these commandments that we hope you will use throughout the coming year. Let's pray. Lord, you are without equal. You alone are God. I detach myself from any other competing loyalty for my ultimate affection, whether people, success, money, reputation, earthly security, or any other created thing. You alone are my source of life. Because we were designed for freedom and exclusivity. And God holds the secret of your identity and my identity. It is found in him. The second commandment. You shall not make for yourself an idol or another image of God. Teacher, author, and monk Thomas Merton said, who God is, is usually more my idea of him than who he truly is. My idea of God tells you more about me than him. I had a very disturbing discovery during sabbatical, and that is that I have made God in my image. And um, came, this discovery came about through a few ways. One was experiencing other traditions in Christianity, which I would say I had written off 
as not being authentic. But there is, a, there is dead wood and there is a remnant in every tradition and in every stream of Christianity. And we have something to share with one another that's going to take us to places in our relationship with God that we can't do alone or get alone from our own stream. Secondly, silence and solitude forced me to have to think and feel about what I was thinking and feeling. Unless one stops, one does not know what one is thinking and feeling or how you think about or feel about what you've been thinking, feeling, and doing. And unfortunately, it led me to the discovery that I am not the pretty woman, uh, but that there was a lot of false self-junk down there that was rising to the surface and forcing me to, again, see how I have made God in my image. Certainly, immersing myself in the scriptures causes us to conform ourselves to him and not him to us. And then finally, rediscovering the Sabbath has really helped me renew and get a proper image of God. And I'm going to talk more about that in a few minutes when we come to that commandment. We have a relationship skill that some of you are familiar with that we teach. And it go, it, it's around the, the theme of expectations. And it goes like this. When you have been disappointed or angry with someone, ask yourself, what were you expecting? And I think we do the same thing with God. Sometimes we find ourselves in some kind of situation in life that we weren't expecting, and we get upset with God. But why? What were you expecting? What is, was your image of God? God has said to me, Jerry, you have been basically snorkeling for all of these years. And there are wonderful views and wonderful things you can discover that you didn't even know by snorkeling. But scuba diving is another whole ball game. And God says, I want to take you scuba diving in terms of my love. I know so little about the love of God. I've been splashing around in puddles, and he's got an ocean out there. This commandment, although it's not up there, ends with the fact that our image of God will influence those who follow in our footsteps. This is the commandment that ends with the curses go for three to four generations, the blessings go for thousands of generations. But the point is, how you and I are relating to God, we're giving that away whether we want it or not, whether we intend to or not. So there's certainly something to pay attention to. So why don't we pray? Lord, forgive me for bringing you down to the level of my own mind, for shaping you according to my own fears and ideas. Give me grace to follow you on the journey you have for me, like Abraham, into the unknown, trusting you. You alone are my source of life. We were designed to trust. 
And the reason is, the reason I think we, I, I like to make God in my image is because I can control what happens to me, or at least I think I can. But you know what? Being a believer, being a person of faith, is saying yes to God to journey with him into the unknown, just like Abraham. Number three, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. As a little girl, this meant don't say, oh my, right? Don't take God's name in vain. But it is much more than that. It is, we are being called here to represent God, not just with our tongues, but with our whole life. This is about representing God with our whole life. Is your knowing and is your thinking and is your believing being lived? Tell me, what do you live for? What do you say you're living for? And then tell me about your life in detail, and then we'll tell you what you're probably actually living for. But this commandment will unfold as we go on to the other commandments as to what it means to represent God with our life. And I personally get overwhelmed at the thought of representing God with my life. But I am so encouraged by the example of Mary. And not just the example of Mary, but the whole interaction and relationship of Mary and God. Mary was overwhelmed at having to represent God. Mary was fearful of having to represent God. But then the words come that I love, and it says, Mary, I have favor on you. I favor you. But those are hard words for me to receive sometimes from God, because I feel so unworthy. But he says, I have favor on you. Don't be afraid. My power will come upon you and overshadow you, and I will birth me in you. I will do it. God is looking for a, a, a willing heart. Well, let's pray. Lord, enable me to represent you as the source of life in all I do, say, think, in every conversation and interaction this day. I feel so inadequate to do this, but my heart is willing. Fill me with your Holy Spirit to help me this day. You are my source. We were designed to represent God's name. The fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Now, do you notice on your paper that the font of this commandment is two to three times the size of the others? Okay. That's for a reason. This commandment, I believe, is central and most important of all the commandments. And it's probably the one I've kept least in my 27 years as a believer. But the reason it's the most important one is because I have learned, I have discovered, I can't keep the other commandments without it. I can't. I cannot live with God as my source because I can't remember to. I live in such an illusion of all the things that surround me in this culture coming at me all the time, I constantly forget that God is the source, that he's the real 
within the real. That he is what life, my life, is all about. And that's the whole purpose and meaning behind these divine hours and the offices that Pete has been introducing the last several months. That these would sort of be mini Sabbaths in our day. That we would take in time. I have discovered I have to take time, specific times throughout my day to stop and remember that God, you are what life is all about. You are my source. Don't help, you know, God, don't let me run after false gods. But I have to do that several times a day in order to keep the rest of the commandments. And then I found out I need one whole day, which is a don't have to day. It's a day where no, I have no have to's. Because when I have no have to's, I remember what I'm all about. I remember that my identity doesn't come from anything I think I have to do. My identity doesn't come from what I do or from uh, what others think of me. That's a day when I remember that I am, or my, my ultimate thing in life is I'm not a mother. That's not what I'm, that's not my ultimate identity. My ultimate identity is not that I'm a wife or that I'm a friend or a sister or a daughter or a neighbor, but that my ultimate and foundational identity is that I am a daughter of God, loved by him, created to, to love him and to receive his love. Now, all those other roles in my life are, are gifts. We're, we're gifts to one another. What we do, who we are, those are gifts. But you know what? They're all means to an end. They're all gifts to lead us back to God's love for us. So the Sabbath is a non-negotiable in, in order to live a life in the love of God. Let's pray. Now, I'm going to give you the first sentence that's missing there. Uh, you know what? Let's just, we'll do this one together. I recognize that when I don't rest or stop, I return to a life of bondage. Help me to develop a rhythm of daily and weekly times of stopping and remembering. Thank you for the gift of this command. You are my source. We are designed to stop and remember. And it's so ironic that the very thing that God um, did for us set us free from bondage, but we keep going back into it. We keep jumping back into bondage. But Sabbath was to free us from bondage. Number five, honor your father and your mother. Okay, this one goes like this. You need to take care, again, especially in the context of this Exodus passage, you need to take care of your parents when they grow old. They need, they're going to need you to take care of them. And in the same way that you take care of them and treat them and honor them and don't neglect them, that's the way your children will treat you when you're in their shoes. The broader spirit of this commandment is this. Treat others the way that you want to be treated. 
It's a law of the universe that I will be treated the way that I treat others. Now, no, the, way that most, the way that you and I treat other people mostly has been influenced by the people who raised us. I treat people the way I saw my parents model how they treated me and how they treated other people. That's now how I treat people. And I see it now in my kids. I used to be embarrassed when my mother would raise an issue with a cashier in a, story, a store. Guess what? My kids are mortified when I raise an issue with a cashier in a store. Okay? But it really, what the point here is, is pay attention. Pay attention to the way you treat other people. Because in the same way, you will be treated. Lord, thank you for the man and woman you used to give me physical life, to enter this world. Bless them. Help me remember with gratitude those through whom you chose to give me life. Help me to work out practically what it means to care and pay attention to them while recognizing you are my source. My parents are not the source. They are not God. And I don't give in to every whim and expectation and demand of my elderly parents. But I respect them and just remember, in the way that you respect them is the way that your children will respect you and others. We're designed to treat others the way you want to be treated. You shall not murder. The spirit behind this commandment is about valuing life. That we are called to protect life. And not just that we're supposed to protect life. You know why? One of the reasons we're supposed to protect life is because life protects us too. And I think probably more than anybody in the universe that has captured this and grasped this are Native Americans who have such an understanding and sacredness of the earth and of nature because we need the earth to care for us as much as it needs to care for us. But secondly, obviously every human life is incredibly precious to God. Otherwise, he wouldn't have created it and he wouldn't have redeemed it, okay? Inestimable, inestimable worth in every human being. In Genesis 2-7, it says that God, he breathed into this lump of of dirt that was on the ground, and it became a human being. It is through God's breath in us. We literally, every, human, every person that's alive is alive because they have God's, it's like God did mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation. And that's what makes you alive, because you have God's breath literally in you. Now the point of that is, even the most evil person's Evil is nothing, then, compared to having the glory of God inhabiting a human being. It may be very marred. The image of God is very, very marred, probably in all of us. But the glory of God is greater than any of our evil. And we realize this and recognize this when we can Love another person because we see the face of God in them.
the famous quote, to love another person is to see the face of God. Let's pray. Lord, you are the source of all life on earth. All humans are infinitely precious to you. Grant me grace today to love people as made in your image, to speak words that bring life, not death, that edify and not tear down. You are my source. We have been designed to cherish life. Number seven, you shall not commit adultery. This is a word that is to protect marriages, but not just marriages, every individual, single or married, against violence. Against a violence that would try and separate the body from the soul. Pope John Paul remarked, the problem with pornography is that it doesn't show enough of a woman. It doesn't show that she's made in the image of God. And that certainly goes for a man's body too. We would never think of giving out valuable objects that we own that are dear to us to people that we didn't know and trust very well. But yet we parcel out our bodies. Sexuality is so messed up in our culture, and I so grieve that because it is such a wonderful thing. Again, whether you're single or you're married, it is a wonderful thing. Every one of us are sexual beings. We're never intended to deny our sexuality. We're, we're to own it and, it, and own it, appreciate it, and follow where it leads us in terms of God revealing himself to us. Physical nakedness only comes after there has been a permanent process, a permanent promise, a lifelong vow of emotional nakedness. You see, I need the safety of a lifelong vow with somebody to say, I'm going to go on a journey with you and become emotionally naked more and more and more. That as we're on this journey together, I'm going to become more and more of who I truly am. And that takes vulnerability, and that takes stability, and that takes safety. And that's why God said physical nakedness must be, must be done only in the safety and permanence of a vow. When we put sexuality or physical nakedness before emotional, before the promise of emotional nakedness, we have certainly put the cart before the horse, and it leads to consequences that are destructive spiritually, emotionally, and physically. You cannot separate your body from your soul. May God take your sexuality and remind you and lead you further and deeper into your relationship with him, whether you're married or not. Because marriage does not fix sexuality. There is as much challenge in sexuality in marriage as there is outside of it. We're, we're, it's all opportunities for growth 
and to learn and grow in our relationship with one another and with God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for protecting me, children, families, and the fabric of society through the gift of sexuality within the power of a lifelong promise. Help me be faithful in honoring the promises that I have made or others have made as husbands and wives in the midst of a world so far from your intentions related to sexuality and despite my own brokenness, free me to live purely, rightly, and respectfully both to myself and all those with whom I will interact this day. You alone are my source. Our sexuality, uh, the expression of it anyway, is designed to be used in the commitment of a lifelong promise. Number eight, you shall not steal. Since 1980, Americans have added 163 hours a year to their work load. Okay, that's almost a whole month a year we've added to our, our life of work. Because I think here in America, our creed is more. More work, more hours working, more money, more things, etc., etc., etc. This is a very, very tough commandment to keep in America. Because we live and breathe consumerism. Even if you're not rich, even if you're poor, even if you're in need and you live in the United States, it's like secondhand smoke. It's like being in a room filled with secondhand smoke. We're, we live and breathe consumerism. Christian theologians throughout the centuries have agreed on the, this hypothetical case of a poor man who goes and steals from a rich man to save his starving family. They agree that no theft has taken place. Or actually, there was a theft. But it happened previously. The rich man's greed caused him to keep for himself what was superfluous for him, but necessary for the survival of others. Even if his wealth was acquired by legal and honest means, his selfishness and failure to share breaks the divine covenant and contradicts the prohibition against stealing. It's hard to have a global perspective when you live in America because we have so much and out of sight is out of mind. But God has called us even though we live in the richest nation in the world, to care about inequity. If we lived in a perfect world, there'd be no poverty. And there'd probably be no more wealth. We were created for everybody to have enough. But I know, because I am challenged by this myself, and certainly having children, that the world, again, has seduced me into believing that I need things. I have what I need. I have more than I need. And I even have need. I mean, I even have things that are scandalous. And all with permission. 
But there are those who are in need who have to ask permission just to get what they need. And so in this coming year, may we be mindful of the world of inequity, inequity, excuse me, inequity that we live in. And may we be people who want to share and not accumulate. May we simplify. May we recycle. The world does not have endless resources, but I sure live like that sometimes. That's why I don't try and buy like crazy clothes. I recycle clothes or buy secondhand clothes or not use paper products all the time without thinking because I am stealing them from somebody else. Let's pray. Lord, you have given us all things on earth to enjoy and to use as gifts for our journey in life. Help me today to not be greedy nor wasteful of the earth's resources especially those you have entrusted to me. Help me to enjoy the good things of the earth and to know the happiness of sharing with others. Truly, you are the source. And it's a challenge as a parent to get my children to internalize this too. I want my children to believe that God is their source and that their identity is not in what they have or own just because everybody else has it. And it's really difficult, you know that as a parent, because you want your kids to be well-adjusted and not oddballs or whatever. But there is a challenge, for here, a challenge here for us, not just as individuals, but certainly too as parents. We were designed to share. May we model that. Number nine, you shall not give false witness. Now, it's one thing to steal. Let's say a theft has taken place. Someone has stolen your car. Some of, you, some of you have had that happen to you, and you know what a horrible feeling that is. An act of violence has been done against you. But let's say somebody has stolen your car, and then they lie about it. And let's say they lie about it, but then they get their friend Joe to come over here and say, they pay Joe and say, Joe, will you, you know, here, if you, I'll give you some money if you'll t tell them that this is my car, okay? And maybe they'll even pay the judge who's arbitrating the case. What has happened in this commandment? The person who lied has created now a parallel reality. Lying creates another reality, a virtual reality. And God is absolute reality. And so when I lie, when I tell half-truths, I create another reality, and I exclude God from my life. This is huge. When I started to pay attention to this, I found out how much I lie, how much I tell half-truths, shade the truth, anything that's going to bolster my ego and make me look better than I really am. And we do it so subconsciously. But I, I warn you, pay attention this week to all the opportunities and temptations there are 
to tell half-truths or even just to outright lie. It is so easy to explain it, to justify it, to excuse it, to validate it. But where there's lying, we exclude God from our life. We do it when we make assumptions about people. When you have been hurt by someone because of something they did or did not do, we generally make an assumption about that person, don't we? Not necessarily check out the assumption. We just make the assumption that. And now what we've done in our minds, we have created a whole reality about this person in our heads. We have created a virtual reality without ever having checked it out with that person. And that's, it's a dangerous thing. How about the media? How about how we are bombarded? Think about all the words, all the words that come at us on a daily basis through television, radio, newspapers, magazines, music, computer, you name it. What about the words that are coming forth? All the half-truths, all the virtual realities that have been created by our media, and they certainly exclude God. God desires truth in our innermost being. And whoever lives by the truth comes into the light. Let's pray. Lord, help me not to lie today. When I lie, I create another reality, an illusion. I end up excluding you from my life, damaging myself and others. Lord, grant me discernment and then the courage to exit the lies, half-truths, exaggerations that make our world. May I, by your grace, live in truth with myself, others, and with you. God, you are the ultimate reality. You are the truth. You are the source. We were designed for truth. And finally, our 10th commandment, you shall not covet, which really has to do with an inner attitude of, I need this for my happiness. It's an excessive desire, which really actually leads then to breaking the other commandments. I end up stealing, lying, um, adultery, you name it. Some, when we're breaking this commandment, something has actually become an idol. Oops. Oh, sorry. Thank you. And this, as you will see, this commandment then leads me back to the very first commandment. You shall have no other false gods before you, even on the inside, especially on the inside. This commandment is about being aware of those desires going on inside of you. And are you truly living with God as the source of your life? God is the source of my life. And therefore, if he is the source of my life, then my food, my food is to do the will of him who made me and made all things that through all things and all people, he might come to me. And so my life 
is one, and my journey with God is one of paying very close attention throughout my waking hours. God, how are you coming to me? How are you showing your love in this situation? And again, whether we find ourselves in a situation of pain, crisis, or abundance, God wants that thread to lead us to him and hold on to him because he is the source of your life. Amen? Amen. Oh, let's pray. Lord, deliver me from any excessive desire I think is necessary for my happiness. You alone are worthy of my unrestricted longing and love because your love is better than life. You alone are my source. We were designed for desire, but desiring God is our ultimate source. Amen.